Well, I didn't introduce myself earlier, but I'm Scott Weatherford, so I'm really glad you're here. Um, this has been an incredible weekend here in the life of, of our church, in the life of, of our daughter church, Cypress Creek. We've had about 300 kids at a focus weekend. And uh, many of these kids said, yeah, that's right, yeah. Many of them had made decisions for Christ, and there'll be baptisms followed up and conversations with parents, and we're just really excited about what God's doing. So in this next gathering, this place is going to be packed with people, and we're going to baptize five people that we know of and maybe some more uh, afterwards. Isn't that kind of cool? Isn't that kind of great how God is moving uh, in and for and through us in this church? And you know, we sang intentional songs today about freedom in Christ. And we just sang this, the words to this, this scripture passage. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. I think it's the passage is on the screen right now. Make sure I get it right. Um, let me read it for you. If the Son sets you free, you're truly free. You're free indeed. Now, that's an interesting passage because with most people, you don't think coming to Jesus sets you free. You think coming to Jesus sets you on the pathway of rules and religion and ritual. That when you come to Christ, you give up your freedom for fun. You stop drinking, smoking, dancing, and chewing and going with women who do. I remember I was about 12 or 13 years old. I went to a crusade with a guy preaching in the, in the football stadium. Uh, I remember his name. I'll not call it. But as he preached, he gave his testimony about his wild, riotous days. And then Jesus saved him, and he looked like he'd been baptized in vinegar. And I'm sitting there as a 12-year-old going, you know, that new life in Christ is not very exciting. You know, that other life he had was far more exciting. And I was already a Christian, already saved. My friend beside me was not, because I'd ask him to go with me. He goes forward to get saved. They try to get me saved too. Because what I discovered, it was the walk the aisle mill. Get you down the aisle, get you in the water. Instead of saying, hey, you have a new life in Christ, a life that sets you free from shame and debauchery, from brokenness and ruin. Huh, maybe this concept about being free in Christ is another what I call upside-down logic when it comes to Jesus and especially in the world. You see, most of us think this. Now, help me with this. You probably, I don't know if you ever thought of this. Maybe you have, that freedom means doing what I want when I want. Is that what you think freedom is? Doing what I want when I want. Do you know that thought that probably all of us have, whether you're in denial about it or not, is rooted in the oldest lie told to man and woman in the garden? You will be a God. You will be a God. You will have the right to discern good and evil, and you'll have the freedom to choose. You will be a God. And that's just a lie. You see, doing what I want when I want often leads me to places I don't want to be doing things I'm not intended to do. Hmm. So when Christ comes into our lives and he changes us, it prompts some questions. And I want to walk you through this series of questions. I want you to consider them. Is following Jesus a religion? And I hear people say that all the time, especially when they hear I'm a Baptist. They say, I'm not of the Baptist religion. Well, I want to give you a newsflash, y'all. Baptists ain't a religion. 
Never has been, never will be. Baptist, the name Baptist was given as a slanderous label to those who believed the Bible was their only authority and they baptized after they trusted Jesus. It's not a religion, y'all. Never has been. And when people express to you, oh, you're one of those Baptists, they're usually talking out of their ignorance and not their knowledge of who we truly are. Did that, did that help y'all at all? Some of y'all are still confused. Okay, here's the next question. Do I need to do more, give up more, or no more to become acceptable by God? Now, we could all, we could shake our heads, no, I don't, but in our heart of hearts, do we really believe that? If I'm doing this, is God going to bless me even though I'm doing this? If I'm involved here, is it going to preclude God from moving here? Do we believe, get this, do we believe in karma or grace? Do we? If believing in Jesus is enough to be right with God, how do I know that I have believed enough? How do I know I have believed enough? And this is probably something that barks at our souls like our neighbor's dog at night. How do I know that I have... I say I believe, everybody else says I believe, my family thinks I'm good, but I've got this gnawing. Let me tell you where that gnawing has come from. That gnawing has come from the rat called Satan who loves to gnaw at the cords of your salvation. Hmm. Is becoming like Jesus about being sanitized or sanctified? And do I know do I know the difference? And what is the difference between being sanitized and sanctified? Now, when I say that, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Sanitized, that means I'm going to be acceptable to you. We're in the middle of the coronavirus. Do you know some people believe that you get the coronavirus by drinking Corona beer? <laughs> the only virus that gives you is stupid. That's all there is. It gives you the stupid virus. But <laughs> is, is this a virus to our soul? Do we want to be sanitized, protected from what the world deems inappropriate or what the Christian bubble deems appropriate? Or do I really want to become like Jesus? Huh? What does Jesus set me free from? I, I think these are all good questions. Because you know, I wrote them. That's why I think they're good. <laughs> See, the renewed life found in Christ is not just rule keeping. Although rules are important, there are rules to keep. But it's about living in freedom, being transformed into a new you for a new life. So if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has become. The new has come. And this weekend, we're going to dive into this new life. And then on the, during the week in our group time, we're going to be talking about dealing with anger and dealing with forgiveness. I'm going to touch on a little bit this morning, but we're going to go deeper into your group life this week. So take advantage of all those resources. So let's pray and let's go. Are y'all ready? All right, Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you'll speak through me. And Father, not just what I'm doing, what I should be doing, but who am I becoming? And because you have saved me, you have new expectations for me, and you give me a new power to live on, a new purpose to live out, and a new people to live with. So, Father, help me just to learn it, but not just learn it, but to live it. 
And I pray, Father, that you'll speak through me, not my words, but my thoughts, but your thoughts, your truth, that leads us to transformation. And I thank you for what you're doing. And I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes and, and be ready to jot down some things. There's some really cool things that I want to tell you about before we get into this talk. Uh, I'm leaving this week uh, to film more content uh, for our next series. I'm going to shoot uh, our content. I'm going to be preaching through the covenants up to Easter. Does that sound like fun? So after we finish Ephesians, at about, uh, about the first of March, we'll finish Ephesians, and then I'm going to be teaching through the covenants, the Edemic covenant, the Noatic covenant, the uh, Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then Easter we're going to end on King Jesus. How's that sound? Yeah, so I'm, I'm swimming in a creek that's too wide for me to swim across, so y'all pray for me as I go. And Dr. Cheatham is going to wade into one of these as well, aren't you, Doc? And I gave you the hard one. So he's all over it. And he's going to be talking about Noah. And he's going to sing for you that day, who built the ark? And he's going, no way, no way. That's what they say. So that's going to be fun. So y'all pray for me. Also, I'm going to be filming 12 leadership talks about leading like Jesus. And this is going to be available for any of you that are leading anything you can watch these videos and maybe pick up some insights about leading like Jesus. And we provide this content for you because we're loving, and there's a move afoot to get our content, our content even more broadly disseminated, so I'm looking forward to that. So uh, y'all pray for me this week. Will y'all do that? Because I need your prayers. I'm not smart enough to do this, but I have a God who's smart enough to do it. If he can make a donkey speak, he could talk through me. Thank you for not amening that. All right. So here's the first thing I want you to see in this passage. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, 17 through the end of the chapter. And then, of course, in group time, we're going to back up and talk a little more about this passage. But let's talk about this today. So Ephesians 4, you have the authority. I love this word, the authority to think differently. God has given you the authority now, this word authority is really transformational because what it comes from is, is actually the Greek word that means to come alongside and give you something that you don't already have. It also means the right or the, or the, the unction or the encouragement. You have the authority to think different. Let me, let me read for you. With the Lord's authority, I say this. And so what Paul is doing is taking the apostolic authority he has been given from God and he's given it to you. Now, it was given to the church in Ephesus, but because this is not time-sensitive, this is transformational, he's given it to you this morning. I give this to you. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Man, oh man, oh man. Do we see that played out in the media today? The political system is hopelessly what? Confused. And if you watch it, you'll be confused and irate at the same time. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the light God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Now remember, the mind and the heart is the center of emotional will-making, just not only the intellect, but the emotion. They've hardened and closed. They have no sense of shame. I, in fact, I would say today we are living in a shameless society that our perversion can be displayed and celebrated. Hmm. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice 
every kind of impurity. And before we get chicken neck, I don't have enough neck to do that. Before you get all proud and boastful, this is for us too, to be reminded this is who we once were. You see, Jesus not only saves you, but he changes the way you think. He comes in through the power of the Holy Spirit and he inhabits your mind. And when he inhabits your mind, your heart, your mind, he, he takes over the thought process and he begins to prompt and begins to guide. His word becomes, becomes, uh, becomes alive in us. As we read passages of scripture, they jump out at us. In fact, when you're reading the Bible and something jumps out at you, you probably ought to underline it and pay attention to it because the Lord is speaking to you through it. You need to watch for it because he doesn't want you confused. He doesn't want you darkened. He doesn't want you hardened. He wants you illuminated and soft. He doesn't want you to be driven by shame, lust, and perversion. He wants you to be driven by righteousness and truth. So he comes along to change the way you think. Now, I wrote this this morning as I was over looking over my notes. I wrote this down. For some, the old life is appealing, but it's full of brokenness, sadness, and shame. When the music stops and you're holding on to nothing but regret, it's time to be set free. When the music stops and you're holding on to nothing but regret, it's time to be set free. You see, this life in Christ is about being transformed into true freedom from shame, guilt, oppression, debauchery, lustful perversion, and being set free to live in love and grace and hope and peace forever. Wow. You can be free. You don't have to stay where you are. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20. But this isn't what you've learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Now, listen to me. He's writing to a people who they're coming out of paganism. Part of paganism was being entertained by getting their bellies full and their minds full of stuff that distracted them. There's a, there's a thing called Pax Roma, which means peace of Rome. For 200 years, Rome experienced peace where there was no open war. There was skirmishes here and there, but there was no open war for 200 years. And the Romans, they believed this. If we kept the people fed and entertained or distracted, they would not rebel. So in the Roman cities, they made sure there was plenty of bread, plenty of bread to keep people fed, and that they had three main areas of entertainment. They had the Colosseum, which where there was open fighting. Uh, we could call it, uh, well, we're playing the Super Bowl today, right? NFL is, 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 a violent, is a violent sport, right? And we're entertained by watching large men who move fast crashing into one another. And we're entertained by that. And so that nothing has changed there. Uh, it, it, except the only thing that has changed there, now listen to this, the only thing that's changed there is that the NFL is full of a bunch of Christian guys. And God is working in, in the NFL in a big way. 
So, and there's some really, there's some good people in our congregation who are, who are part of that system that are making big differences. So, yay God for that. They would have the Hippodrome, which is where they would have NASCAR, separate chariots, and races. And then they would have the amphitheater, which was the movie house, entertainment. Now, one thing you don't know, and I'm going to tell you this, and if it offends you, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to tell you the historical truth. At the end of these Greco-Roman entertainment plays, they would have a public sex act on stage. And what this did, not only did it entertain them, it tantalized them, and the bathhouses in Rome were not designed for you to go get washed up. It was go for you to get washed up. And this is how Rome maintained peace. And these people, these new Christians, they were coming into a new world where Paul's going, hey, wait a second. This is not the life that God has meant for you to live. This is not it. You're not here just to be fed and entertained and your lust massaged. It's not. You see, the life you're supposed to live is about giving yourself away in love and compassion and hope and peace to do the good that needs doing and show the love that needs showing, to live in monogamy, to live in peace, and to start things like hospitals and universities and orphanages. And when the plague hits, you don't run away, you run in. And when the orphans are left on the side of the hill to die in exposure, you take them in and you raise them. And the early church made a difference in the world by living out the new life in Christ and not the old life of Roman Pax Roma. Oh, is that making sense to you guys? Look at what the world wants you to do right now. Go to your famous diners, drive-ins, or dives. Remodel your house. Watch some NFL. Tune into the latest edition of Law and Order. Eat all you can and then be tantalized by Hollywood's weirdness. I like to call it Holly Weird and not Hollywood. Now, before you think, Pastor, you sound like an independent fundamentalist, King James only pastor, preacher. No, just wait. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God's called you to live a life of influence to love people who are broken. And some of you have been really broken, so you know a lot about brokenness. Who better to help the broken than those that have been broken? Wow. Throw off your old former way, which is corrupted by lust. Instead, I love this. It's like taking off this old rag, this old garment, and putting on. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. The term learned, is this is not what you've learned. It's the same term used for disciplined, to be disciplined, to say that I'm going to follow a pathway of thought or a regiment of discipline. Now, in university, when you go to university, they give you the, dis the disciplines of science, the disciplines of mathematics, the disciplines of engineering, the disciplines of music, the disciplines of art, and there's certain transferable disciplines that you learn, and God wants to give you the same process of disciplines in your life. We teach that in our Step With to Grow class. 
the disciplines of a godly life, the disciplines of reading, of meditating, of setting aside time to focus on Jesus, the discipline of being in community, the discipline of giving of your financial resources, the disciplines of these things that set you free, not lead you to bondage, but set you free. Huh? And it's more than knowledge. It's more than just knowing. Jesus is changing you through what you know into how you should live. Knowledge without application is useless. I saw a t-shirt in Fredericksburg the other day. It said, another day has passed and I'm not used algebra once. And this is why you need biblical instruction. This is why you need engagement in the local church so you can live the free life of Christ. Does that make sense? So I'm no longer trapped by what I was. I'm now free to become who God wants me to be. I've been given a new life in Christ. Glory. Glory. And then he says this. Because God created me, listen to this, to truly be righteous, that means to be right with him. Let me say this to you. A.W. Tozer said this, a man rightly related to God cannot make a wrong decision. Would you like to go the rest of your life without making a wrong decision? Would you like to? Then trust Jesus. Because Jesus makes you rightly related to God. And when you're rightly related to God, he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, that you might become like him. He'll even take stupid and work it for good. Isn't that good news? And that's what he's saying here, that I can truly set you free. How, how would you like to never make a wrong decision? Trust in Jesus. How would you like for all your sins to be forgiven? Trust in Jesus. How, for, how would you like for your eternal destiny to be safe and secure? Trust in Jesus. Because Jesus sets you free. He makes you righteous. But then he also he makes you holy. How does he make you holy? This is what he does. He takes his holiness and he gives it to you. Look at your neighbor right now and say, if you've trusted Jesus, you're holy. Some of you, a few of you, two of you, have read my book. And I talk about, are you a holy man? And that chapter about, are you a holy man, really becomes a conviction to my heart that I am a holy man, not based on some posture I have or some headdress I wear, but on the fact that God has given me his righteousness. I am holy. And therefore, I can live differently. I can live differently. Listen to this. This is where it gets really cool. So stop telling lies. Do you know the Greek world? They were famous for lying to you. In fact, they thought deception was a, a, a virtue. Like if I was deceptive and good at it, I was applauded by men. Of course, now, if we're deceptive and good at it, we run for office. <laughs> I listen to some of the things our politicians are going. It's just saying... Cannot people see that that's a lie? I mean, a lie? We're going to pay off everybody's college loans and give everybody free health care. It's a lie. It ain't going to happen. There's going to be a chicken in every pot. No. In fact, Dan doesn't want a chicken in the pot. It'll kill you. Dan's allergic to poultry. He doesn't want a chicken. It's not even a good promise, is it, Dan? 
For we're all part, stop, so stop telling lies. Let, the, t- let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Now, this is what I'm going to talk about more in group life. You really need to listen to this video on group life. I'm talking about the different kinds of anger. Righteous indignation and selfish motivation of anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives the devil a foothold. Anger gives the devil a foothold. You want to give the devil a foothold in your marriage? Be angry because your wife did not meet your expectations. That is, you know what? I'm still saying to Tara, you make me so mad. I should say to her, baby, you show me how selfish I really am. Because most of my anger towards my spouse is based on because she didn't do what I wanted to do and I wanted to do it. Are y'all with me? Most of your anger with your neighbor or in the church, you didn't do what I wanted you to do, so I'm mad. Really? Really? Now, last week in our group life, we talked about grow up. Grow up. Hmm. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. Then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. This is amazing. Let every word, everything you say be good and helpful so that your words, that, that say was left out there. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. I like what one translation said this. Let every word that comes out of your mouth be for building up and not tearing down. Oh, whoops, whoops. So that your words will be encouraged by those here. And don't bring sorrow to God's people by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. I love he added this because he's saying these behaviors don't preclude you from the promises of God. The promises of God are for you even if you don't do these things. But because he has given you these promises, do these things. Do these things. Live differently. This is huge practical stuff that I have to deal with my anger. Whether it's righteously indignant, I'm mad over a just cause, or maybe I'm mad over selfishness, I think probably Maybe 5% of my anger is justified. 95% of it is selfishly motivated. I need to be aware enough to know what's going on in my heart, in my mind. But when I'm angry and justified, I can't do crazy things. I can't be sinful. I have to be helpful. How can I be part of the solution, not part of the problem? That I need to be honest with myself. I need to be honest with you. I gotta watch my mouth. Y'all, I talk for a living. So I do most harm with my mouth. I've got to watch it. I'll listen to stuff that I've produced. I'll listen to my podcast. In fact, Tara laughed at me last week. I recorded a podcast and I hadn't listened to it yet. And so Sunday afternoon after church, I turned it on and fell asleep listening to myself. (laughs) And she says, now you know how everybody else feels. I said, baby, that was some of the best sleep I've ever had. I mean, I am medicine right there. I'm better than NyQuil, y'all, which, by the way, is Baptist liquor. Did you know that? NyQuil. Hmm. 
but I got to watch my mouth. Watch what I say and how I say it. You know, it's not only what I say, but it's how I say it. And I, I, I don't want to be an embarrassment. Scott, my mama would say, don't make Jesus ashamed of you. That's good old mama guilt, right? Don't you be an embarrassment. Remember, Scott, remember that you're a Weatherford. Now, I'm thinking I'm a Weatherford. Yeah, that's horse thieves and Indians and marauders and murderers. And... But what my mama was saying, don't be an embarrassment. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't be an embarrassment. <laughs> I saw this the other day. I laughed, I laughed, I laughed, I laughed. It was on TV. Somebody was pulled over for doing something. They were talking about what they caught this person doing. And you know what they had on the back of their car? A fish. If you're going to get arrested, take the fish off your car, okay? Just a thought, all right? In fact, some of y'all ought not to ever put a fish on your car, okay? Just, I thought that was funny. Now, here's the last thing. Release the junk that's keeping you from becoming a release. I say junk. Uh, Scott Tidwell and I had a conversation about whether or not there'd be a better word for junk. And we stuck with junk. I stuck with junk. That's keeping you from becoming what God wants you to be. Here it is. Here's the list. Y'all ready? Get rid of. Here's the list. Bitterness. Bitterness. You know what bitterness is? It's resentment you put in a Tupperware container and stuck in the back of your refrigerator that's grown moldy and inedible. That's what it is. And you, you don't need to get it out. And this is what my wife does. Hey, would you smell this and taste this to see if it's any good? No! Why do I always have to be the one? It's like the, the raccoon commercial. You gotta taste this, it's awful. Because that's just what you do. I need to get rid of bitterness. That is so ridiculous. Get rid of rage. Do y'all know what rage is? It's that, it's that uncontrollable puffing up of yourself that exudes out and it just creates distance. There's a, um, there's a snake in the south, maybe here in Texas too. It's called a puff adder or a hognose snake. Now, in Africa, the puff adder is deadly poisonous and will kill you. In Texas, ain't nothing to it. It just pops up and blows its head up and gives it a cobra-like effect. And it, what it means is to, is to scare you. Most of our rage is that we just puff adders. And, what, and I don't know what you do. This is what I do. Usually, I get mad and get enraged to distract you from some sinful behavior that I'm involved in. Am I the only one? Anger. That seething kind of, you're just mad. Mad. I remember one Sunday, our church in down in Victoria, we started the, the service, the gathering, was singing, I'm a soul man. I'm a soul man. You know, -da -da -da, I'm a soul man. We start off with that. One of our congregants came out mad as a wet hen. How dare you start the church gathering? 
And I said, what are you talking about? I said, I was preaching on our, our pursuit of being godly and, and living all for Jesus. He goes, well, why were they singing, I am so mad? Because <laughs> you can't hear. Hmm. Harsh words. Get rid of harsh words. Whew. We have a, something we say in our staff when somebody says something that may be a little unkind. We say, was that helpful? Was that helpful? Slander. You know, slander literally means to tear the flesh. Sarcasm, same thing, tear the flesh. The Canadians used to say, yeah, yeah, Pastor Scott, sarcasm's our love language. I said, your love language is faulty because sarcasm does not help you. And if you live in a sarcastic environment, guess what you soon will be? Rage and anger and slander. Huh, as well as all types of evil behavior. I think Paul just kind of got tired of the list. See, so just get rid of it. Then instead, this is how you, you, you deal with it. Instead, get rid of this instead. Here's your antidote. Be kind to each other. Tender-hearted. What does tender-hearted mean? It means to have a soft, instead of having a hardened heart, like it said earlier in the passage, you have a tender heart that you're compassionate toward people. I'm having to make some really tough decisions right now and, uh, and talking with some things that are going on with mine and Tara's house situation. And I'm so dadgum tenderhearted that often keeps me from making wise decisions. Now, do you want your pastor to be hard-hearted or tenderhearted? Tenderhearted, Right? But sometimes my effort to love people, it makes things harder because there are deceptive people out there that I could be tenderhearted with. So what should I do? Tell me what should I do? Be suspicious or trust Jesus? Y'all know the answer. I'm to trust Jesus. But Jesus says, don't be stupid. And so that's why he gave me Tara. I told her she wasn't going to make this sermon, so don't you tell her that I said anything about her. Forgiving one another. You see, a kind, tender-hearted heart is a forgiving heart. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. In other words, your standard of forgiveness is Jesus. If Jesus would forgive it, you should forgive it. If Jesus would forgive it, you should forgive it. Now, I, I, I'm not going to take the time to teach on forgiveness, and I will later in our series coming up. Um, but, y'all, this is so important because so many of you are held captive by unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is worse than the stuff in the back of your refrigerator. It's the stuff in the back of your refrigerator that you've taken out and you've eaten, and now you're poisoned by it. And you have a spiritual stomachache or worse because you haven't, been forg- you haven't forgiven. I talked about forgiveness. I preached on forgiveness in Canada. In fact, I preach on it a lot. I preached on it here. I'll preach on it again soon because it's so important. A guy came out. He'd gotten saved about three months earlier. He was in his early 70s. He came out and he said, I've been holding on to being, being abused by a man 58 years ago. In fact, he was not quite 70. He, he was abused as a teenager by this guy. 
He said, and today I forgave him, and I'm free. I'm free. And he was weeping. He said, all these years, I didn't know that Jesus would set me free. All these years, I didn't know that Jesus would set me free. Oh. Well, that means that I've been given the authority and the power to live differently. I've been given the ability to let go. Instead, I could be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving, just as Christ has forgiven me. Then I could give myself the gift of forgiveness and give others the gift of forgiveness because if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Oh, that means my life is different. This is the new me with a new life. And I see it and I want it. So Jesus, I'm yours.